Well, it is good to hear your voices raised as we sing and glorify the Lord. It does me well to hear that. Thanks, team, for leading us in worship this morning. Um, We're going to continue our study in in the book of Philippians. So if you have your Bibles um, or your digital readers, please open to the book. Oh, the children. I'm sorry. Yes, I'm new here. Uh, This is the time where the the students can, the children can be dismissed to uh, their classes. If I, Susie, if I knew what uh, that signal meant, I might have picked up on it quicker. Yeah. So we're going to continue our study in Philippians. And um, um, if you remember last week, we talked about really Paul's introduction. We spent some time discussing how Paul views his relationship, his paradigm in which he operates, right? How he looks at God as the master. He's the commander. He's the one who has a right to, to tell us where to go, what to do. He has a right to command us, right? And Paul's response to that is he referred to himself as a servant. He was a servant. And he used the word a bond servant. It's translated in my version. The word it literally means a slave. So Paul was saying, I'm a slave. Me and Timothy were slaves of Jesus. So he gives us this idea that, that if Christ, God, right, if he has the authority over us, our response is a servant. And we're going to go. And then he also talked about us being saints and what saints mean, right? It's not that, that we are elevated, that we're placed above, or that we're some type of saintly thing, but no, all believers. If you cross that line of faith, you know Christ as your Lord and Savior. Paul says, you are a saint. You've been set apart for something to be done, right? And then this passage, we talk about until, right? Until then. So we're in process. We are growing. And then he gives us the greatest motivation of all is because peace with God, right? Peace from God. And grace in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so, as we talked about that last week, that's kind of just setting up this idea of who we are right? as followers. We are in process. God has set us apart for something great. Jesus has the right in our lives to say, Go here, we go, right? Or go there, we go there. And He has the right to command us. That's the relationship in which Paul's operating, how we want to see that active in our life. And so, we want to continue that this morning, just kind of building upon that. Um, as we talk about really the part two, until then, and a kind of this idea of developing Christian fellowship, right? Developing biblical fellowship, how what Paul is talking about, if this is how our relationship to Christ is, what, it, what should be developing in us? How should we be processing this if, if Christ is at work in us? Until then, here's some things that we need to be looking at. So the passage is in Philippians, and it's verses 3 through 11. And Paul writes, I thank my God every time, excuse me, every, upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of the very thing that he who, ha- he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart. Inasmuch as both in my chains and the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. 
And we'll just do a quick prayer. God, thank you for, once again, this time. And I do pray that as we um, hear your word, um, Lord, that you would bless me as your servant to, to disappear. Lord, let our eyes be fixed upon you. And uh, God, that our intention would be to hear from your word and to apply your word to our lives. Bless us with that. And give us the insight and wisdom necessary, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we're looking at this idea of until then, right, you and I in process, we have this, this understanding how, how we operate. God has set you, think about that for a moment, God has set you apart for good works to be done, right? You are a saint if you're a follower of Jesus. If you know him as your Lord and Savior, he sets you apart, right? He's given you the greatest motivation, it is Jesus, right? If that doesn't motivate you, probably need to back up and, and, and have some conversations, right? Jesus has done something for us we can never have. And so Paul from here, he goes into this idea of until, until then, we need to be developing, and I think he spills out for us the idea of fellowship and what fellowship means. Now this morning, we're going to have a great time of fellowship, right, following the service, but that's you know, usually when we think of that word, we think of it in those terms, right? We get together, uh, we may have a time of eating, which is great, right? Amen. All three of us like that, all right, the rest of you, Okay. <clears throat> And we do enjoy that, and fellowship does have those elements of part of it, right? But biblical fellowship, when we talk about Christian fellowship, what Christian fellowship genuinely means is really kind of taking it a step further. Even though you have to have time, you have to spend time, right, when we call that fellowship, with others to get to know them, there's another step to it when, when the Bible talks about how Paul uh, ref- speaks to this in this passage, this idea of what it really genuinely means to go another step further and to interact and to have a genuine love and a care. And you see that demonstrated in this passage. You know, it speaks to, when, Paul, when the, the Bible speaks to the idea of biblical fellowship, and I may use that interchangeably, Christian fellowship, biblical fellowship, it speaks to this idea of, of you and I knowing Christ, right? And as believers, we have this commonality, a common life in Christ that we can share and breathe upon and know others and encourage others. You know, we, how do we do this? You know, that's that element of, like, how do, we, how do we pursue biblical fellowship? We get involved, right? We get involved with other believers where they're at. We walk with them. We, we show up when it's inconvenient, right? Not just when it's convenient. We don't isolate ourselves when we're going through difficult times. I don't know if you've ever come across somebody who's gone through some difficult stuff, and they kind of, the, their reaction to going to church on Sunday is, no, I don't think that's where I should go. I don't know if you've ever met someone like that. Well, that's where you should be. Right? If we're going through difficult things, I need brothers and sisters in Christ to pray for me. And sometimes we have this, this in us to kind of isolate ourselves. Well, let me fix this, and then I'll come back to church. Right? Then I'll come back. Then everything's okay, because I don't, maybe I don't want others to know that. And maybe we, we, we put on the facade or those other types of things. But in a church, in biblical fellowship, right? Christian fellowship, it shouldn't be that way. We should know that all, we are loved, and we can, you know, sincerely, and we can sincerely love others. Right? And engage others. Have that kind of deep uh, relation to that connection. So it means, right, out of that, we, go, we realize that we need to be sharing. Sharing our needs, our requests, engaging, being sensitive. That necessitates the idea of being sensitive. If someone is sharing with you something, you have no right to share that with others, right? You just lift them up in prayer, walk with them, be that person with them. So here's what Paul's getting at. We see these demonstrated, this idea of fellowship, Christian fellowship. And when I speak to these things this morning, there's five things that jump out at me as we walk through this passage that I think we are, as a church, we're doing. 
right? But we're also in process, and it's something that we don't ever want to get to a point where we say, you know, I've arrived, right? I don't know if you've ever met someone like that. I used to know some musicians who thought they arrived. I've got it all down. I've got my scales. I've arrived. I'm done. And it's like, no, you, you continue on. As disciples of Jesus, right, there's never a moment where we go, I've got it. I've got the whole Bible. I'm good. Um, no, there's more to it, right? It's an ongoing development. It's the same with our fellowship. So there's things that I want to see us continue to grow in, things that I think we do really well already, but we want to expand them, right? We want to have love for others, but we want to have that going out and, and touching and affecting and being genuine in it. So here's some things that I think jump out of this passage. The first thing that, that we need to really look at, maybe this is you or maybe it's not you, is to develop or have an attitude of thankfulness. An attitude of thankfulness. This is in verse 3. Paul says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. So in Paul's prayers, he thanked God, right, for the evidence, the spiritual evidence, the things that he saw, blessings among other Christians. And we realize, again, we set this context where Paul is in chains, right? He's wearing chains. He's in Rome, and he's writing this letter to these Philippian believers, and he's saying, man, when I think of you guys, I think about this. In the midst of his context, I don't know if, if you would be like, you know what, I'm encouraged. If I'm in chains and I'm in prison and I know that maybe my life is going to be taken from me, because he talks about that here later in this, in this very chapter, I don't know if my response would be an idea of thankfulness, just being honest. And Paul is writing this letter and he's saying, man, when I think, when he's in his prison cell and it's dark, when I think of you and I think about, you know, I mean, put yourself in his shoes. He's thinking about individuals. He's thinking about maybe people when he was there who hugged him, right? He's thinking about their partakers and their fellowship in the gospel. He's thinking about how Jesus is being glorified in them and how he's being proclaimed. He's thinking about that. In the midst of his difficulty and his distress and the things that he's going through, he's like, I, I am thankful that God is doing something in your midst. Right? Paul was sensitive to the problems of the churches. He wrote, if you're familiar with, with any of his writings in the New Testament, especially 1 Corinthians, the things that he was struggling, the things that he was writing to and correcting and changing, he's aware of that, but he's also profoundly aware of God's mercies in the midst of it. He just never wrote people off, so to speak, as we might do, right? They go through a difficult time. There's some difficult things. There's, there's hard truths that need to be spoke at times. They realize that. But Paul is very full of God's mercy, and he's thankful for these believers, now, we might respond to this, and, and I realize at times maybe we operate more on the side of what we'd say the flesh. We're just like, you know, I was upset and I reacted out of that or, or whatever the situation might be. And we're not necessarily always operating the idea of the Spirit, being controlled by the Spirit. And I realize there's, there's kind of a, um, a life-happening kind of moment. But for, for us to develop an attitude of thankfulness, we have, this is a sub-point, we need to be del have, give deliberate thought to what God has done. You know, in our daily lives, we, we go through things. We set the schedule, and we live this schedule. This is what happens, when, you know, how this, this is, the week's going to play out or the day's going to play out. And a lot of times we just kind of miss, and if the day goes difficult, well, then we rack that, that section up pretty well, right? Here's what's wrong. Here's what's difficult. Here's what's this. Da, 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 da. And we don't necessarily get this attitude of thankfulness in the midst of that, and probably understandably so. But there has to be some time in our lives where we get deliberate, think deliberately about what God has done. Right? God provides for us. We can list that out in a lot of different ways. The fact that we may have a job, we may have a home, that we have running water in our house. I mean, you can go down a list of things and develop this attitude going, you know what, in the midst of this, in the midst of this difficulty, you know what, I am thankful. God has saved me. 
I mean, the, the, the foundation to, to who we are as believers is Christ. Whether we, Paul's in chains or not, whatever he's going through, here he is. He's very thankful. And his example, right, in this prayer, and it's, it's really a prayer for these believers, is, is the idea of, like, when you pray, right, is there elements of your prayer where you say, God, thank you. God, thank you. you know, we, it's great on Sundays to come. We lift our voices and rejoice in worship. And we say, yes, this is who he is. But on Monday morning, when that comes around and that first difficulty comes or the first stressful thing hits, or, you know, is there an attitude that's there, like, in the midst of this? I know God is with me. And I'm, and I know he's with me. I know this is going to work out. God, thank you. Right? That's a huge defining moment for us. We should be filled as believers with thankfulness. It doesn't mean we just kind of ignore or neglect. I understand the difficulties of life. I'm not speaking to those things, but in the midst of them, we can have an attitude that says, you know what, there's a God who's created this, and he's walking with me, and he has the power to change. And when I look at Christ, when I look at the cross, and I can see love, I can see forgiveness. I had a rough day, but I know he accepts me. He receives me as a child. I realize that he has sealed me to the day of redemption with his Holy Spirit, right? The third person of the Trinity dwells in me. If that's in me, how can I help others? I think, you know, thankful for the idea of freedom in worship. There's a list we can quickly create in developing an attitude of thankfulness. Have an attitude of thankfulness. This is one of the standards by which I think we can measure some of our maturity. You know, as the followers of Jesus, whether you've been it for a short time or a long time, is the idea of like, hey, life happens, storms come. How am I reacting and changing? How am I looking at this? How am I assessing the situation? And in the midst of it, can I say, you know what, God has a plan. God has a purpose. We need to be thankful. It wouldn't be hard if we gave diligent time to it to find something to be thankful for. There was a Scottish minister named Alexander White who had the reputation of in his prayers always being finding something to be thankful. In the, in the difficult times when he prayed, he was always found something to be thankful for. There was one Sunday in, in Scotland where the weather was just horrific, and one of his churchgoers made the comment, like, today would be a difficult day for him to find anything good to be thankful for. And as Alexander got to the pulpit and as he prayed, he thanked God that there's not always days like this. And so in life, right, even in difficult things, not to, not to kick them to the side and say, you know, become a Christian and everything's hunky-dory. In the midst of this, we always say this is for a time, right? We look back. Notice in this verse, Paul is remembering. I'm looking back on this, your journey. I look at this. He draws from the idea that God has been there, God will be there again, because this is who God is. So for us as a church, we want to develop this. We're talking about Christian fellowship, right? Interacting with it. We need to have an attitude of thankfulness. The second thing I think is important is to have a consistent prayer life. This one kind of goes without showing, right? Verses four and five where it says, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. So if we were to define prayer, right, consistent prayer life, what is that? It's talking to God, right, praying, bringing our requests before the Lord. Many times Paul wrote these letters, right, where he said in Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer. Ephesians 6.18 says, right, that we are to pray in all times with all kinds of prayers. And Romans 12.12 says that we are to be faithful in prayer. 
right? Continuous in prayer, the consistency of prayer. Now, what does that mean, that we detach ourselves from reality and just go off and, and find a dark corner and just pray all day? Well, if we look at Paul's life, clearly Paul is an active Christian. It's not what he's saying, but he's saying in the midst of your day, right, have an attitude of prayer, be continually conversing, being aware of God's presence. What does prayer do, right? It draws God into the situation. Even though he's there, it makes you very mindful that the creator God is with you. And Paul's saying, hey, Pray for these things. We pray for your fellowship. And to this day until now that I've been praying for you. And so in us, we want to have a consistency in that. If we're going to develop genuine Christian fellowship, my walk, and if I'm you know, in process, if God has started something until the day of Jesus, until he comes back for me or calls me home, this is something God expects. Paul is expecting in us right, that we'd be consistent in our prayer time. That seems like that's the one thing that's always attacked. Finding time to pray. I read a stat somewhere that said the average pastor prays like three minutes a day. That seems baffling to me, right? There has to be a dependency. What comes from consistency in prayer is a dependency upon God. The more time we spend with him in prayer, the more we begin to see him moving. The more we begin to be encouraged. The more we can say, you know what? This difficult situation is beginning to change. Prayer has that power. It has that ability to change us. So what do we need to do? The sub-point here, in order to, to develop, keep, right, maintain a consistent prayer life, we need to seek a constant and growing relationship that kind of goes, they go together, right? A consistent relationship between ourselves and God. And if we do this, right, and you and I, you probably live long enough, walk with the Lord long enough, you know this will change you. It'll change the way we, we react, Right? It'll change the way we act. It'll change the way we view people. We'll start valuing others, especially people maybe we have difficulties with. Start praying for them. Right? Begin to have a heart for them as God looks upon them. So we can start to see things that how we maybe change and see, like, God, they are valued. If God created, if we believe God has created every human being, and I'm praying for these difficult people who just, you know what, we just, it's like all, you know, oil and water. We just don't mix. We begin to pray. It begins to change our attitude. It's very important for us. Martin Luther had this quote. He said, If I should neglect prayer but a single day, I should lose a great deal of the fire of faith. It's important for us. There's an expectation that God has placed upon each and every one of us. Remember, you are a saint. You have been set apart. You are in process, right? You are to grow. You are to develop. You are to keep going forward, right? The world is, is doing its thing, but it needs a light, and you are the light, and you may be the only one to bring light to that situation. You may be the only one who can be the feet and, and hands of Christ to those people. You might be the one where God is saying, I have called you. I have set you apart. You are very dear and precious to me, and I have placed you right here because I want you to shine, and if God is saying that, there needs to be a dependency upon us to him that in those moments, right, where we might be challenged, that we might, in fact, do that, that we might shine. And it comes from having, right? Have a consistent prayer life. And I believe the more we spend time doing that, the more we spend time with God, there is a great confidence. This is my next point. Have confidence in God. Verse six, look what Paul says. This is a great verse. I challenge everyone in this room, you should memorize this verse. Being confident is the very thing that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul speaks to the past, the present, and the future right here in one verse. He talks about how God has done this work, right? How he will hold you, how he is shaping you, how he will mold you, and how he will ultimately bring you into glorification. This is what Paul is saying. This one verse, 
right? He's in chains. He's reading this or writing this letter to them. They're reading it and they're saying, look, I am confident. I am Paul saying, I am confident that he who began a good work in you, he will be faithful, right? Until the day of Christ Jesus, which means until Jesus calls us home or he comes back and gets us, you are in process. So if you're here this morning, guess what? God isn't finished with you yet. I know some of you are thinking, I'm pretty good, Tyson, right? I don't know, right? I've got some good work. I'm looking pretty good. No, you're not done yet because God finishes what he starts. And if you're here, he isn't finished with you yet. He has a purpose and a plan. Think about that for a moment, right? You're not an accident. Man, God's got a plan. God's got a purpose. He created you uniquely for something special that, that, that involves the kingdom, right? It involves God working through you. And look at this, right? The first one is, it is a good work. It speaks to justification where Christ has done this, right? That's that forensic word where, where it comes down and says, at that moment you cross that line of faith, you are justified before God. All your sins are atoned for. You are cleansed, right? And so Paul's saying, it's done. So Christ did it. Then he talks through the idea, it is a continuing work, speaks to the idea of sanctification. At the moment of salvation, right, you are cleansed. You have instant sanctification. Then we're in process. We're growing in our sanctification, right? We're, we're not doing the things we used to do. We're, we're, you know, following the Bible more and implementing more of the truths of God's word into our lives. This is the progressive sanctification. Then it is a work that will be completed. It is the glorification, right? So we can have a confidence that God is doing this. And Paul's writing this saying, hey, you're partakers. You're in this fellowship, we are brothers and sisters in this thing. We're all in this together, and I know that God's begun a good work in you, right? What is Paul doing? He is value. There's such tremendous value. God has done something in you. He will be faithful to complete it. It might be a rough road right now. You're going through some rough patches, but I am confident God has done something great in you. He's going to continue to carry it through all the way until he comes back or he calls you home. He is doing something special in you. What a great encouragement. We should have this kind of confidence in our lives. I know, we've, we've, all of us looking, I've looked around the room, we've all lived life long enough. We've gone through difficult days. What does this, this right here, this verse do for you? In the midst of this, God is refining me. He's not absent, right? He is with me. He has the power to change the situation, to change me. Think about that. This is how important, how awesome. This one little verse, I encourage you, memorize this. He who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. It also speaks to the idea that, that if we come across those who are believers who know Jesus and they're not quite where we think they should be, we need to be patient. It's this balance of grace and truth, right? Some people, you just, they need truth. I love you now, like I say, some people, you got to be more grace, right? Let me walk with you a while. Let's talk about this, a little bit of truth, let's talk about this and walk with him. Patience, there's a genuineness, a love. So you have to understand where people are at. And it's, it's amazing because in difficult things of life, we knew that as followers of Jesus, God is using this very circumstance I might be walking through to refine me, to shape me. So maybe some of our questions might be, Lord, what are you trying to do in the midst of this? If I'm walking through something, if you're walking through something difficult this morning, maybe that's the question you should be asking. God, how are you refining me? What are you teaching me? What are you building into me? What are you showing me? Because I know, I'm confident on your word that you are not absent. 
that you are, you've begun the work, you're, you're doing something in me. Lord, what are you teaching me here? And let me have that, that confidence. Let me have that trust, that abandonment to know that you are in control. You are the master. I can trust you. I can surrender to you. I can look to you. There was uh, the story of Orville and, and Wilbur Wright when they made history back in December 17, 1903, when their motorized vehicle defied the law of gravity and flew through the air. At that time, the, the idea was not new. Years before the Wright brothers got off the ground at Kitty Hawk, mathematicians and scientists had proven that flight was possible. But many people who read the facts couldn't believe that flying would ever become a reality. The Wright brothers believed the facts and they built their first flying machine. When their vehicle flew, they demonstrated that you have to believe. You have to believe the facts to be successful. You know, as, as followers of Christ, there has to be a confident, a resolve. I love that word. Resolve that God is who he says he is. In the midst of life, I can have a confidence. And our fellowship, right, as we interact, is built upon this. As I come to church, as I worship with you, I realize that God is at work in me. And as we begin a fellowship and a, and a relationship where you pray for me, I pray for you, and I share these requests, there is a confidence in me that I can instill in you and you in me that God is doing something. This is what it means to have biblical fellowship. Growing from there, as we kind of see these things focusing, these first three kind of focusing on us, right? A consistency in prayer, con, you know, trusting God that, that we have confidence in him and, and having this attitude. We begin to see as, as Paul kind of unfolds this letter a little bit, it's, it affects others. So it goes from there as we grow in this idea, as we focus on this responsibility within this fellowship, right? To have Christian fellowship. It goes on to verses 7 and 8 where he says, I, I'm going to put this point, it says, have a longing for one another. Paul says these words, just as it is right for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart. And as much as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. You're going to see that theme a lot. For God is my witness. How greatly I long for you all, for the affection of Jesus Christ. So here we see the expanse. This is the important element of Christian fellowship that is that it needs to be constantly expanding. This kind of fights the idea that I have, my, I have my few people that I love and that's it, and that's enough for me. No, not Christian biblical fellowship. It is an expanding thing. I'm not talking to deep relationships. You're only going to have so many profound, deep relationships. But the idea of expanding genuine love to others, longing for others, longing for those who partake, those who have been set aside for the gospel. We have a longing for them and a love for them. Paul makes no apology, right, of his affection for the Philippians. He doesn't hide it at all. They are partakers of the gospel. They are in this together, right? His love for them isn't lessened, right, or taken away or limited by painful earthly circumstances that Paul was enduring, nor is their support for Paul limited or lessened because of his difficulties. We see this relationship very profoundly playing itself out. They love Paul. Paul loved them. There is distance here. He is writing a letter to them, but it doesn't stop 
right? They are loving one another. They are sharing the burdens of ministry. They are partakers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul loved them the same way we see Jesus loving, right? Unconditionally. I can love other brothers. I don't get to pick and choose who's part of the body of Christ, right? We plant and sow, but God, God draws. It's my responsibility to love and have a longing for them. So even though Paul was, was many miles away, right, he knew he was not alone. So again, he's thinking, right? I remember you all. He's in chains. And he realizes that in the midst of this, maybe a dark cell, he's not alone. And it can feel like that in life, where we go through difficult things. We're not alone. We have brothers and sisters who genuinely, right, share Christian fellowship with me, who will call me out or be accountable, who will love with me, walk with me, right, and share truth with me. We realize I'm not alone. This dark thing I might be walking through, I'm not alone. I have others who care for me, who pray for me. You know, it's interesting that, that there's an element where Paul speaks to, you know, the discernment and, and those types of elements. I think it plays out here. You know, when we walk through things, and maybe you, you know of somebody who might be enduring some difficult things, sometimes people just need someone to listen, right? Just walk with me through this. We don't have to have all the answers is kind of what I'm getting at. A lot of times we walk with people, we're going through difficult stuff, we may feel like we have a, a responsibility to solve it. Here's what you need to do, right? Here's my five-point plan for you. It's not like that. Sometimes we just, love just needs to be, you need to be patient and growing and have a longing. And out of that longing for others and seeing you know, the kingdom expanded, it goes to my last point here, have abounding love. Abounding love. This is verses 9 through 11 where Paul says, and, I, and this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve, right? You may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So our love needs to be, these are your subpoints. Um, needs to genuinely know others. It means that we, we need to genuinely know others. Right, we all have those, those friends and we say, hey, hey, how are you doing? I'm good, you good? Yeah, I'm good, everything's good. I don't know if you have those kind of people, right? We just kind of do that. This is the kind of the, the, to genuinely know someone means we go past those kind of questions, right? And to, how are you really doing? Right, don't give me the, the I'm good. No, I know you, <laughs> Something going on, right? To genuinely know others. This is what fellowship, Christian fellowship looks like. Genuinely know you. Right? And it means that we need to discern what is best for others. Look at the words Paul uses, right? And I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge, right? I know you in all discernment. I know what is best. Right? I'm not going to enable you. I'm going to walk with you. Hey, at this moment, I know you. I'm going to tell you the truth. Hey, in this moment, I'm just, you know what? I'm just going to be quiet. I'm going to put my arm around you and love you. Be discerning. We know what is best, right? We need to be informed, right? The Christian life must be motivated and informed by love. Without love, we are clinging symbols. So our love is not meant to be wishy-washy. You know, the Christian faith is never built on emotion. This is kind of why. 
right? Emotions are up and down. We have good days, bad days. Our, our Christian walks, good days, bad No, it needs to be constant. It's built on our knowledge. Paul says your love should grow. Your love, that emotion for others should grow in knowledge, in discernment. So we need to have a pure attitude with others. Paul goes on and says, the fruits of righteousness. Man, I have no ulterior motive in helping you other than to see you grow in Christ. I don't want to benefit from anything else. I just want to see you grow. I have a sincerity. And when do we do this? Tell the day of Christ. Tell the day of Christ. Paul gives us that why once again. Why? For the glory of God. Why should I be pursuing Christian fellowship? Why should I engage in these things, Tyson? This is why. For God's glory. I should be checking my attitude. Make sure it's, I'm, I'm looking and being thankful for what God is doing. I should be growing in, right, in my, my prayer life, being consistent. I should have confidence that God's begun to work in me and others as I look at the body. I should have a longing to see this kingdom expanded. And my love for one another should be growing. There was a great story of Lawrence of Arabia when he was in Paris after World War I. With some of his Arab friends, he, he took some time to show them the sights of the city. They went to the Louvre, the Ark of the Triumph, Napoleon's tomb, and the Champs-Élysées. And they found little to no interest in any of these things. The thing that really interested him the most was the faucet in the bathtub of their hotel room. They spent much of their time turning it on and off. They thought it was wonderful. All they had to do was turn the handle and they could get all the water they wanted. Sometime later when they were ready to leave Paris and return to the east, Lawrence found them in the bathroom trying to detach the faucet. You see, they said, it is very dry in Arabia. What we need are faucets. If we have them, we'll have all the water we want. Lawrence had to explain to them the, the effectiveness of the faucet did not lie in themselves, but in the immense system of waterworks to which they were attached. He had to point out that behind this lay the rain, the snowfall, and the Alps. You know, many people today are living lives that are dry as the deserts of Arabia. And we are the faucets, but nothing is coming out of it. And this morning, I just want to challenge you in our fellowship, the reasons why, why we love one another, and why, why is it important that I have a consistent prayer life? Because others in the body need you. Why should I develop an attitude of thankfulness? Right? Have you ever been around a person who's not thankful? They always see the negative. And then stand around someone who's like, you know what, hey, we can do this. God's got a purpose. It changes us. And biblical fellowship goes that extra step, right? It goes that extra mile. It values others. And our love and our grace should be growing. Why is that? So God will be glorified because much has been given us. So our challenge is not to be a faucet, right? Many Christians are just this faucet. There should be good things flowing out of us, influencing and affecting others, loving one another. Because we, right, at times, need others to open their faucets and pour on us. It's so important. So as we close this morning, I just want to pray for us. 
as we live out this life, right? God has set you apart. You are unique. You are special. There is a calling upon you. It's got to set you apart. Now be that faucet. Shine forth his light. Let the flow, right, of Christ flow out of you. Be sincere. Let your love be genuine. Let it be built on a knowledge and an understanding. Let it be rooted this way. Let me pray. Lord, thank you again for this time. We don't take it for granted. Assembling together, being with your people, hearing your word. And I pray that you would apply this to our lives, that as we, as we live out this life, Lord, until Jesus comes or, or calls us home, let us be pursuing genuine fellowship because it's so important, so important for Paul, so important for the Philippian church. It is so important for us. So God, I ask that you would help us. Help us to, to pursue this. Help us in those moments where maybe we feel like we're, we might be failing or not doing it. Turn our attention to you. Let our motivation come from the cross. Let us realize, Lord, that you have created every person. and Therefore, they have tremendous value. Let us be partakers of the gospel. Let us live this out. Let us be dependent upon you. And that in this place, Lord, as this church be glorified. As we go from this place, Lord, the different families and areas and campuses and things that we're a part of, shine through us. Oh, we love you. It's our desire to lift you high. And for those difficult days where we may feel like we just, we just fell or we blew it, bring us, Lord, to that element of repentance. Let us realize that is a good word and restore fellowship with you first and foremost. God, we love you. We pray this for your glory that you would continue to shape and move us. That we would do exactly that, glorify you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.